Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, here in Toronto, as I'm recording, there's a huge storm going on outside, which is quite welcomed because it's been crazy hot and we need a drop in temperature. But it also means that there's a potential to lose power and I'll be standing here in the dark. <laughs> so so let's see how this goes. Um, I have three questions for you today and let's begin. My nine-year-old is experiencing sleep issues and clinginess lately. I see it as a result of COVID living. These issues appeared two years ago when my husband and I separated. My ex is concerned that she's having sleep problems at nine, but I know it's probably perfectly normal, and this is how she exhibits stress. Well, it's interesting uh, that we're talking about sleep in this particular situation with the uh, factors in your family, but I think sleep's an important topic for all of us, that a lot of adults are complaining about sleep issues since the um, recent current events, whether that's the pandemic, the uprisings, potential loss of jobs, uncertain futures, that we are living in really extremely stressful times. And one of the ways that we uh, know that we're stressed is when we have sleep issues. And so you're also commenting that this started two years ago when there was a stressor on a child, which was your separation which is a natural and appropriate stressor on a child. They want to see how life is going to be in the new family configuration. But I would expect after two years that that stress would have come down. So let's uh, let's talk about sleep in general for people. I think the, we can start with just the general concept that all humans must sleep. And we need sleep in order for our body to maintain itself. 
And I'm, what I mean by that is that there are very unique things that happen at sleep that don't happen in our waking hours. One of the things that happens is our body shifts into repair mode, cellular repair mode. So it's very good for um, healing and repair of our body. It's doing maintenance on systems that were stressed during the day. I like to think of it as being like your dishwasher has, you know, the, the rinse and clean cycle. And you wouldn't want to skip that part of your dishwasher cycle. So neither do we want to miss that part of our sleep cycle. We also know that during sleep, the mind takes the learning that has occurred during the day and there is a consolidation and laying down into deep memory the the learning from the day. So it's important that we do that for our learning, for, for our mental health as well. And we live in a culture that really doesn't value sleep. You know, we have this work ethic that if you sleep too long or you waste the day sleeping or you have a nap, we really associate that with being slovenly, lazy, unproductive. And I really think that in general, we need to have a greater respect for for sleep. And uh, there are conditions that make us sleep better. And we talk about sleep hygiene, the things that help us have a good night's sleep. And again, these go back to how the body works with its natural circadian rhythms and how it's in tune with nature. And remember that we have an evolutionary past that we have to keep into consideration, that before we had electricity, we would have gone to bed when the sun went down because we didn't even have really, you know, lights and candles and things to, to keep on our day. And we were much more in rhythm with human nature. And so, we most of us sleep not enough so i would say start let's start with the quantity of sleep you can go to uh, online and just google sleep per age and they'll give you a range but you'll see that from uh, you know as you get older the uh, the amount of sleep comes down and we consolidate sleep, meaning like a baby sleeps very lightly because they need for their survival to wake and feed and wake and feed and wake and feed. And that eventually it gets consolidated as we start to see like the loss of the afternoon nap or whatever. Um, and then we have to move to our, you know, system whereby we're awake in the day and we sleep at night. And unless you work shift work, which can really mess with the body and can throw people into to depressions and, and things like that, if we don't do that transition properly, that's when we want to get our, our sleep patterns calibrated. And in terms of setting up the sleep cycles that the body goes through, the, the body seems to calibrate around waking time. So if you need to make any adjustments in your sleep, you want to start by making adjustments to, to when you wake up in the morning, and that will have rippling effects to, to when you want to go to bed. So for a good night's sleep, if we're going to work with what we know about the body, we want to have good sleep hygiene. And the body likes to sleep uh, in cool temperatures, that when it detects a drop in the air temperature, kind of like when the sun goes down and the evening air comes, that drop in temperature is a signal to the brain that this is good good sleeping time. And most of us overbundle our kids or put too many blankets on the bed or keep the um, heat in the house too warm for, for children uh, often to sleep. So if you can crack a window or you can drop the temperature of the house, try to get that room good and cool. Your blankets can keep you warm, but you really want that room temperature to be, to be lower than you think. 
And the second thing is light really interferes, that we have something called a pineal gland in our brain that is very sensitive to light. And it's why you've probably heard you should get off your devices half an hour before going to bed. Part of that is to wind yourself down from the excitement of the interaction that you're doing online. But part of it is because of that blue emitting light that comes off of our screens and, and TVs and things. Um, so we want to start with getting things to to be light sensitive. So blackout curtains are great. I know a lot of kids like to sleep with a nightlight. If they have to do that, you want to keep that as minimal as, as possible. You really want to have a dark room. Uh, some kids do better with a nightlight if they wake up, but you can put eye covers on like they give you in an airplane. And uh, so that will block some of the light and make things dark if your kids will tolerate that. Some kids find that scary. So you got to kind of work with your individual child. And the brain also has a great anticipatory response to, in terms of it being a pattern recognizing machine. It wants to, and think about this with eating. You know, if your nose starts to smell the bacon in the morning and you come into the kitchen and then your eyes actually see the bacon sizzling in the pan, what happens? Your mouth starts to salivate. Why does it salivate? It's anticipating that when I smell this and I see that, the next thing that happens is I have bacon in my mouth. And in that anticipation, the body starts to change its production of saliva. And the same thing happens with sleep. If your body starts to recognize, oh, you know what? This is what happens every night. We have a shower. We brush our teeth. We put on these pajamas. We get our glass of water. We crawl into bed with our storybooks. By the time you as you start to, to approach that routine, the body's going, ah, I know what happens next. I know what happens next. And it already starts to, to move the brain waves in preparation uh, to, to switch into sleep mode. So having a wind-down routine in preparation for bed that's consistent and predictable is a really good part of, of sleep hygiene for your kids. So I would make sure that you've got all those kind of basics in place, as well as have they burned off enough energy in the day. You really want to be able to fall into bed good and tired, um, wanting sleep. And um, that's going to be a little bit more of a challenge when we're cooped up. You know, we know we're not doing the extracurriculars. We're not spending time in the hockey arenas and the soccer fields, although that is starting to open up. But it can be really hard to actually get the body in, spent, if you know what I mean. Um, and the same, the brain uses an incredible amount of energy when it's learning. So kids are often more tired on a school day than in the summer when they're not learning. So uh, we, we want to adjust our bedtime so that we got our kids really doing a bedtime where they're really good and tired and ready to go to sleep. Some parents mistake hyperactivity for the child not being ready to go to sleep yet. And sometimes the hyperactivity is because the kids know, if I stop moving my body for one minute, I am going to fall asleep and I don't want to stop my fun day, so I'm going to keep moving. So you really need to stick with that schedule uh, more than just looking for some of those, those signs. But if you're attuned to your child, you'll probably know uh, when they start looking droopy and if, and if you've looked at the amount of sleep they need and, and start to make that preparation and have that good bedtime routine. Now, the trouble with falling asleep is that when we're in bed, we are no longer busy. And it means that we start to attend and pay attention to the content of our thoughts. And if you're somebody who is feeling less than secure, I don't want to necessarily say full-on anxious, but 
if you if you're a child and you see that your parents go away, they get divorced, they might get sick. What if they get COVID? If, if they start to allow their mind to wander to worrying thoughts, then as a child, a young child, your feeling of security comes from your proximity to the secure adult figures in your life. And so it would make sense to me that when times are high stress, kids are a little bit clingier, and, and that's that's quite true. But at the same time, we also need to make sure that they learn to, A, see from your disposition that you're not anxious, that you feel fine and secure, and they'll pick up on their safety and security senses by how calm and confident you are, but also by how much you have faith in them, that yes, it's stressful times, but you're just fine. Most people have trouble falling to sleep at night when they've got things on their mind, but you can learn how to get yourself from an active mind to sleep too. When we instead buy into the child's inability to self-soothe, self-calm, learn the skills of putting themselves to sleep at night, we give validity to their reasons for being anxious, nervous, and worried, and that gives support for those thoughts. And um, that actually increases the likelihood that they're going to stay in that anxious state uh, or worried state because we've confirmed it. Yes, yes, these are bad times. You can sleep in my bed. So I certainly understand making a certain amount of accommodation situationally based and you know your child best. But if a child knows that when I'm distraught at night that the response to my being distraught will allow me to have my preference, which is not to learn the skills of falling asleep, but rather to sleep in my parents' bed, that just seems like a really easy, good option. And interestingly, a lot of parents like sleeping with their kids. Uh, if you are separated and you're sleeping alone, you might also find the calm comfort of sleeping with your daughter if she doesn't disturb you. In which case, it just not admit isn't, you know, it's not, it's no judgment here. But what I mean is rather than every night thinking like there's some failure happening, you know, just reframe this that you've decided that for your life right now at this time that you're a co-sleeper. And you co-sleep with your child. And if you get a good night's sleep and they get a good night's sleep and you're doing it cooperatively, then that's fine. But at some point, this nine-year-old does need to be able to have the skills to fall asleep on their own when the situation requires. So can they fall asleep at dad's house? Can they fall asleep when they're at a sleepover, when they're at camp? Which, again, maybe you can't test right now because of shutdown. But the important thing is, is do they have that skill? Um, if you would like her out of your bed, then that's a different uh, that's a different story that we want to be talking about. And so then we want to talk about my bed's not available. I know you're safe. Let's talk about ways to help you get to sleep. And one thing I've found is that kids don't actually know how to put themselves to sleep. They haven't consciously thought about it. So one thing you might do is say, "What position do you find yourself sleeping in when you wake up in the morning?" Or, you know, you might toss and turn trying to fall asleep, but when you finally feel like you're going to just fall asleep, have you paid attention to what that is? Some people are tummy sleepers. Others are back sleepers. Maybe you do the jackknife. Do you put your pillow like this or like that? And get them to get into that position. And if their thoughts go to worrying thoughts, can we help them think about things that don't take them to revving themselves up and getting worried is there something that they can think about that is actually going to kind of tune their brain out? Something mundane, which is why you've heard the classic, 
counting sheep jumping over a fence or, um, you know, for older kids, counting backwards from 100 using increments of three, which means you've got to really kind of engage your brain. You've got to do some math, which makes it harder to be thinking about what i got to do tomorrow and is there a boogeyman in the room. You know, for other people, it might be doing a, a complete, as accurate as you can, recap of every single event that happened at your last birthday. You know, when did people arrive? Who came in? Did they put their present on the table or did they put them under? And you just try to do like uh, a memory recounting that allows you to transport yourself back to a good time, paying attention to those details so that by the time you've gotten to the end of the birthday party, perhaps uh, your mind has been relaxed enough that, that sleep can jump in. The other thing is there's wonderful, because it's such a common problem, there's all kinds of apps that have mindfulness meditation specifically for falling asleep. Some kids get anxious about falling asleep because they couldn't fall asleep yesterday, and then their problem is they get anxious about being anxious, and it has nothing to do with falling asleep anymore. It's anxious about anxiousness. So we want to break that cycle as as quickly as we can. So I'd be interested to know whether or not she can put herself to sleep, whether she's motivated to put herself to sleep, how much of this is is her problem versus um, your ex's a partner about what the sleeping arrangements are. Um, and of course, if things continue to be constantly problematic, that's where you might want to reach out because maybe there is something else going on and maybe she needs more than just your general toolbox of falling asleep um, tools. But usually when kids understand that you can do this, you're safe, my bed's not an option, maybe we'll make a little schedule that says on this day I'll let you sleep in my room. This day I'll sleep in your room. The next day I'll, you know, wait until you fall asleep. If you want to do a slow, gradual withdrawal of services, or you fall asleep with, and I'll come and check on you to make sure you're asleep in half an hour. Something that you want to at nine, you can have a conversation about how we would wean off of this inappropriate little increments uh, with the goal of of wanting to sleep on their own. But um, most kids, if they know that they're uh, looking distressed and they can get you distressed about how distressed they are and they know that they can get into that bed with you and they're going to work it. <laughs> That's like testing a limit. So I uh, I hope that gives you a little some starting points. So here's my second question. Question for the podcast. How to talk to small children, five and seven, about a divorce in the family. My brother and his wife are in a process of divorcing, and my kids are asking questions about why are uncle and aunt not getting along. They have children, so I know the conversations between cousins might soon happen as well, but I'm not sure what to expect and how to prepare them for this change of their cousins having two homes and auntie not being around for the holidays anymore. Thanks, Allison. So... It is, yeah, it's a tough conversation, but um, to your point, people are going to start talking. A lot of times what kids make up in their mind is worse than being factual, but we also have to be age appropriate, five and seven, and people get divorced for a whole lot of different reasons, and I think it's just simply enough to say that um, they've decided that they would be, that they would be better not being married anymore, and that uh, that that would be a better arrangement for their family. And you can say, not particularly sure why different people get divorced for different reasons. Some people just think they make better friends. Some people find they fight less. 
Some people want to move in different directions or they just don't share the same values. People change over time. I'm not sure. That's that's really a private matter for them. But you certainly don't want to be creating gossip or sharing stories, you know, who wronged who. And, you know, we, we don't need to get in, into any of the details of that kind of thing. And um, in terms of trying to help them understand what the new family will look like, you really can't say until the cousins know. But what I would say is in this society where we have more people who divorce than people who stay together, chances are your kids have actually already experience people who are on the other side. So you can say, you know, it's, yes, it's difficult and it's sad. It's a little bit, it's a loss. It's sort of like any other kind of grief or death that the family that they once had in its formation is is not going to continue, but they're going to do something else. They're going to have a new formation. And most kids would do just fine. It's it's difficult to change, but once everyone gets into their new routines and their new schedules of when they see people, most of those components all come back and, and people are happier. Everyone's getting along better. There's less stress in the family. So we have to have faith that they are, you know, kids who can manage and are capable and that we love them and support them regardless and that you have relationships with all your uncles and all your aunts, whether they're married or not. They're still your aunt. They're still your uncle. And it might change when we see them and how we see them, but we we can still stay in touch and we'll find other ways to make sure if that relationship is important to you, I can help you foster that. And um, and we'll see how things are, are going to land for them. And we'll just let them know we love them and we care for them. And it's okay to be sad. Um, it's okay to be feeling badly for them. But um, but we can also be hopeful that uh, we know they're made of the right stuff and, and that they'll get through this and that we've got their back. So I think just that kind of simple uh, language is fine for, for five and, and seven. We want to avoid the pitfalls. Like I said, we don't want to get gossipy. We don't want to triangulate and um, and share information that would better be suited coming from other people. So it's not your kids' jobs to talk to the cousins and try to explain anything. They need to hear it from their parents, etc. Um, but those are, and that feeling of optimism and hope well uh, acknowledging and allowing them to feel any way that they feel about it. And uh, different kids respond differently. Some people are like, oh, good, I never liked Uncle Fred, or, um, you know, who, who, who knows what they think of it. But I want to validate their feelings and, and let them know that we're, we're here for support and they can keep asking questions along the way. Usually, you know, telling the kids and, and figuring out things, it usually it takes a while to kind of morph. When I have kids in counseling and their parents are discussing this with them, we I like to use the metaphor of a snow globe that... Um, Inside the snow globe is all the different members of their family, and when you shake the snow globe, everything kind of gets tossed around and looks all kind of chaotic, but if you let it sit, it settles, and if you look in the snow globe after a little while, you see all the same people are there. All the same characters in the family are there. It's just going to look a little different. It's a different arrangement, but nobody disappeared. It might have a different relationship, different visits, but no, nobody's going away, and um you know, certainly if you do your work in keeping those connections. So um, I hope that's okay. Um, I also find, too, anytime uh, when you're working with young kids, anytime you can find a story or a movie that talks about that, you know, um, it's something that allows you to kind of open the door to say, have you ever felt like that? Or, 
you know, um, do you think that little rabbit is sad because his dad has to, he only gets to see his his daddy rabbit half the time? You know, you can sort of use stories as um, a springboard for conversation and for checking in. That kids are really a lot more resilient than we think, and we can't protect them from the reality of life. And um, the more we show them our faith in them to manage and be available to them, the the better likely that they do just fine. And my last question of the day. My boys, 13 and 15, are home all day, and they leave their dishes and crap around the house. When I ask them to clean up, they refuse, and it turns into a screaming match. I feel so disrespected. They have all this time on their hands while I have to work, and they do literally nothing to help out. I am angry and resentful. They are too entitled, and I'm sick of having to do it all. Well, I can hear, you know, your anger and resentment just just in the tone of the of the question here that you're posing to me. So I'm sorry that you're going through this, and I'm glad that you reached out because I think that we can turn this around for you. And I've got a, a few things to to give you some support around. The first thing is, a lot of times when when we get expect kids to do things. We, and especially at this age, 13 and 15, uh, we still have this belief that we should just, that they should just, whatever, know. They should just know that you've worked all day and shouldn't they just unload the dishwasher because that would be a nice thing to do. I think that's a really unrealistic expectation if you haven't had the first 13 and 15 years of their life training them for holding on to responsibilities for themselves. So you might be that you were in a little bit of lag time, and maybe for a while you got away with saying, hey, 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 help out, unload the dishwasher. Hey, 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 help out, you know, lift up your coat and put that on the hook. And maybe on those little prompts, your kids were a little bit more willing to to listen to what you had to say. And here they are at 13 and 15, and you're not there to give the prompts, and they maybe have not had all this responsibility. And there's sort of a maybe you're thinking a miracle will happen that they'll just suddenly you know know better and and be more adult like without the training without having done the work and they won't and it's not a shortfalling on their character that we have to guide the child guide the child is, is uh, and take time for training towards being responsible members of the household and in fact feeling a sense of being part of a team. And so I'm guessing that at 13 and 15 and that they're doing this, they're not choosing to be helpful. They're not choosing to see what the needs of the situation are and then move according to common sense and help their fellow man. They're they're not seeing it. And the not seeing it, again, is part of just lack of training in that particular area. And so that means we start training now. <laughs> We start training them now. And so the first part of the training is, you know, how do we feel like a group? How do we feel like a team? And this is why I always believe in in sitting down and, you know, I like family meetings, the structure of it, the having it once a week. But even if you can't get all that formality in place around it, the point is you need to sit down and say, hey, you know what? This isn't working. You don't like being yelled at and I don't like yelling at you. And we need to talk about how we can uh, hand off and share some of the responsibility during this time so that we get along better together. And uh, and I, I need your help. I, I'm, I'm asking for help. And it's amazing how much kids are much more willing to listen when we say, I need your help, rather than do as I say. 
follow my command. So I think what you'll find is that at 13 and 15, those kids at that age have a high sense of justice and fairness. And they might at the moment think, well, you've always done it. Like, now you're putting upon me. But even if you have to do a reset and say, yeah, you know what, up until now, I have been doing it all. But I'm feeling that it is too much of a burden on me, and I'm getting snappy and short, and I don't think it's helping us as a family for me to do everything. And um, I'm, I'm asking that we look at this and reconfigure what we've been doing in a way that is not putting too much burden on any one person and that, you know, we're a team, we're a family, and we all have a stake in, in making this family work and have this house look clean and, um, you know, how can we care for this place, you know, respect this place, respect the order of the home a little bit more, and I need everyone to be willing to want to tackle that problem. And so what I find is that the creativity and the ideas that come from your kids are probably going to be the ones that that stick the most. But I would definitely say, one, refuse to scream. Refuse to use your voice. It's what you do, not what you say. And the screaming just, you know, maybe at some point they see you're upset enough and mad enough and they're scared enough, but we, we can do things without that. We can do without the screaming. It's what you do. It's about appropriately handing off responsibility such that they understand that it's their responsibility. How will they know that? Well, the first thing is fire yourself. If it is their job to put the dishes in the dishwasher, number one, don't yell about it. Number two, don't do it for them. It's not your job. So if it's not your job, they're never really going to believe it's their responsibility unless you let go of the responsibility. So you might say it's their job, but if every time you get frustrated and fed up and they're out and on their bikes and whatever, and so you just do it for them, you're sending real mixed messages. And to a kid's eye, that means, nah, mom will do it. Yeah, that's how, that's how I've come to know it. So don't yell. Do not do it for them. And then let's find some other ways to be accountable, which, you know, again, comes down to applying some consequences perhaps. But I, you know, at the age of 13 and 15, you know, I like to invite the kids into the conversation. What should happen if I need to, to get to the dishwasher and the dishwasher is is unloaded? What should I do if I finish my workday at 5 o'clock and I come and I see things are still lying all over the place? What should happen then? So that you can ask them. Ask them for what that consequence is. And again, I don't know what they'll come up with. I do know that when you give, give kids things to do, one of the best things that you can do is to give them a really wide berth of time because they don't necessarily do things when we want to do things and they might want to juggle it around other commitments that they have. So so maybe the plate sits on the counter after the sandwich for half an hour and then they put it in. You know, it, it there may be that, that little bit of sloppiness which drives you crazy, but eventually if it goes from the counter into the dishwasher and it's done at some point that you've given some deadline around, you know, would it be fine for me to expect that to be done by five o'clock? Then uh, we're looking for inc- incremental improvement, not perfection to your standard. And we want to thank them for their contribution as opposed to criticizing them for the shortcomings of why is it still on the counter. So anytime you see any effort, they tuck in a chair from the table. Thank you for helping look after our place. Oh, I appreciate you putting out the dishwasher. Every little bit helps. Thank you. Oh, thanks for thinking of it. Any small thing. Because when you start getting more excited and show more enthusiasm, more connection around pro-social behavior, that's when you're going to get more of that. That helpfulness is something that's valued in the house. And I want to raise that value by noticing it. 
And um, I, I want to diminish and not give rise to this internal dialogue, which is where the anger comes mm-hmm. from, is that when we interpret them not picking up after themselves as being disrespect, it would make sense to me that the appropriate emotion for being disrespected by your kids would be anger. So what we can do is try to reframe the story. Is it really disrespect or is it just a child who has not yet been trained and is just testing limits and boundaries? So the hot thought is, I am being disrespected. I am being put upon. No one ever helps me. These will get, these hot thoughts will get hot and get you red hot angry to fight against the, those injustices. But instead, if when the anger starts to come up and you're feeling the impulse to yell and you say, oh, let me see if I can replace my hot thought with a cooler thought, and you say, I don't like it. It's not great. I wish I wasn't doing this training. I wish I would have started earlier. It's tough having a 13 and a 15-year-old that have different priorities, but this is what I signed up for. I have two kids. I need to do the training. This is them testing limits and boundaries, which is a child's job. It is not a character flaw. It is not directed at me. It's not personal to me. It's not about respect. It's about learning, and I haven't taught them what I really mean in terms of handing over that responsibility. So the training begins now. And today they're learning to test that limit right until the moment that I come out and I actually have to follow through on whatever you said that you were going to do. Whether that's, you know, I don't know, if the kitchen isn't ready for me to cook dinner, then I can't start supper. Or, you know, if the kitchen isn't ready to cook dinner, then I'm going to just jump in the car and I'm going to go out and get myself something takeout and you guys can figure it out. Or, I don't know, what, come up with something with them that, that seems uh, reasonable. So I hope that is helpful, and I hope some that helps dissipate some of the anger and, uh, it, you know, that I've given you answers that are couched in some of the Adlerian principles that, uh, that ground our theory. So there's my uh, questions for today, and I thank you folks for please submit more questions at any time. Send comments about things that you're trying and whether they're effective or not effective, any shifts in the family, and we'll see you next week. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. How would you like to look 5 years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. 
Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Velour XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.